It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So I was in court on Thursday to hear the testimony of Danny, who was one of the three sisters in the family of three sisters and one brother and a mother and father who moved from Mexico to Albany, New York to take part in Nexium. Her sister, Mariana, had a baby with Keith Ranieri, and her younger sister, Camilla, was known also as the Virgin Camilla, who was the top DOS slave, and was also the subject of the pornographic, child pornographic pictures that are in the indictment. So I had been gone from trial for a little while, and there had been some changes since I had last been in trial. For one, the pastel sweaters that Keith Ranieri had once worn are gone, replaced with these somber black sweaters. And the jury's mood is shifted, visibly shifted. So before they kind of were interested and attentive and very much a poker face. And now every time Keith Ranieri's lawyer, Mark Agnafilo, steps up, it their heads turn like a tennis match, and it's as if a bad smell has entered the room. Their brows furrow, their noses crinkle, and it's clear that they find Keith Ranieri and the defense hard to take and distasteful. So Dan, Daniela was brought in to testify, and she came in. She's a very slim, striking, beautiful woman, and she was wearing a leather skirt, white shirt with her hair long and to the side off of her shoulder, and she struts into the courtroom to the wit um to testify, and she struts like a supermodel, and she never looked at Keith Ranieri once. It's this really high-heeled, strong walk, and 
I was surprised because I had heard her testimony was incredibly emotional and I was waiting to see this kind of fragile, beaten down person. And that is not what I saw at all. Um, I saw a really strong woman filled with confidence. And she talked about the time that she spent, the two years she spent in a room in Albany because she had committed the ethical breach of falling for another man named Ben Myers and kissing him. And Keith Ranieri told her that that was a ethical breach, that he needs total devotion, and that she only cares about herself and she's selfish and she needs to heal it by spending two years alone in a... I don't think he said two years, but a time alone in a room. So she was in a room alone with the windows papered over, a mattress on the floor, and given paper and pen to write with. And every day she wrote letters to Keith Ranieri, begging him to let her out of the room. Some of the letters we saw there, and the first thing that was so striking about the letters was the handwriting. It looked This is unlined paper, and it was perfectly straight, and it looked like a font, so like a script font. And she had different types of letters where she made plans. I'm going to run a triathlon. I'm going to do this. And every day she had her weight, what her weight was, how she, of course, that's a never-ending obsession for Keith Ranieri to keep his women devotees extremely thin and malnourished and she was rejected uh, in her plans to run a triathlon uh, because of course that might give her some self-confidence and make her physically stronger. I think Keith Ranieri liked his women weak, emaciated and dependent but that's my own observation. And she described her life in the room where she could hear her family talk, and she described the emotions of hearing her family have a life outside the four walls she was confined in. And she said, I loved hearing them because I, there was a connection to people I loved, but I also hated them because they were experiencing life. And life was going on without me. She also described the physical illnesses that she went through that were untreated. She described having rashes and begging for Benadryl. And she was never given Benadryl. She was given something else that, of course, didn't work. She described a terrible toothache that went on and on and on until part of her tooth broke. Um... And then she was finally escorted to the dentist. And she describes the dentist appointment and the experience of seeing the outside world and feeling the breeze and just having all that stimulus as scary and exciting. And it was like going to the dentist was the the peak experience, as you can imagine, if you're confined in that room. And that was also really sad. She also created these newsletters called the Walton Times and that they were like a newspaper like the New York Times 
describing, giving Keith Raniere the news of life in the room. And she drew wonderful um, cartoons with different panels. And one of them was on her sister's birthday, so she drew herself sending her sister a kiss in a paper airplane, and it was so touching. And you realize how extraordinary these Nexium devotees are and how what incredible people they were. And so much more extraordinary than Keith Raniere himself, who they're supposed to be learning from, the great master, right? And of course, she was discouraged from, I think she made... Uh, maybe four or five of these Walton Times newsletters, and then they told her it was an ethical breach uh, to continue to create them. But um, they're really... I I was really um, impressed by them, and I thought they were really creative and and interesting. We also saw pictures where um, they looked like they were created maybe by different people, Uh, self-portraits, notes to herself in different kinds of scrawling handwriting uh, where she had lost all hope. And you realize how fractured your mind becomes when you are confined to a room with no human contact or very little human contact. Lauren Salzman was the only one allowed to have contact with her, and she came infrequently. So I'm sure the question you're asking yourself is, why didn't she just leave? Well, her family was there, and they told her that if she left to go back to Mexico, they would take her papers, and in Mexico, you cannot work without papers. It's very difficult. And she would be leaving everything she knew, And she would also be leaving with no money, so she was terrified. But after two years, that is what she did. She left with a backpack full of clothing, $60 that she stole from her father, some more money that her father gave her, and she she chose the safest city in Mexico by looking it up on the Internet and decided to go there. And she describes... She described going to a hostel, living in a room with eight people, and being obsessed with surviving as you would. And she worked every day to find a job and got turned down more times than you could count because she didn't have papers. But she got a job for $200 a month working at a computer store. And eventually she had four different jobs. And one of those jobs was teaching tennis to a woman who worked for, I think, the human rights, a human rights organization. And she told, she confided in that uh, mother of the child that she taught tennis lessons to that she didn't have papers. And the mother said to her, well, having papers is a human right. And she got her her papers. And she now runs a import-export factory in Mexico where she supervises 250 people. She also described once she had 
cemented herself and become a success in Mexico, trying to get her sister Camilla out from being involved in Nexium. She was a nanny in the Rainbow Gardens Coalition, and she was being paid $10,000 a year, and obviously still very much under the control of Nexium and Keith Ranieri. And she, Danny, Daniela talked about the caution and the absolute care she took not to make any judgments and to continually tell Camilla that she it was her choice that she didn't have to do anything but she was sending her she sent her a bank card with money and so that she would have food and she eventually got her to Mexico but she described Camilla's state as so poor that she would have freakouts and say, you're just trying to control me. And she said, look, here, have some money. You can go back to America now. Go anywhere you want, you know. So just the patience uh, she and care she took to try to get her sister into a good place was also very moving. Just watching this as a as a person who had to rebuild myself, who had also lost everything in life and had to rebuild myself. It was a very emotional. There's times I wept in court watching this. I know I wasn't alone. The jury was clearly very much sympathetic to her, so I was very curious to see Mark Agnafilo cross-examine her. Now, I thought, because there was a short questioning of a Google representative before Danny came up. Now, I think the point was of that questioning to show that Nexium opened up many encrypted accounts uh, under Camilla's name. I believe that was what... It wasn't fully explained. And when Mark Agnafilo cross-examined this young man from Google who came all the way from San Francisco to testify for less than a half an hour. Um, he was very nice and, you know, if I, if I ask you anything you don't understand, just stop me. I'm kind of like, I'm an old guy. I don't understand all this tech business. Uh, what's a messenger account type stuff? You know, like very very easygoing, very affable, because that's really all Mark Agnafilo has left. All he has left are, are to kind of manage the look of his client and trying to win the affections of the jury with his personality. The facts are so damning, you just... That's really what he has to work with. And I talked to Stanley who's been coming to court for as long as I have. And he is a drama coach, and he made a very interesting observation, which is that Keith Ranieri never stops taking notes during the trial. He has a pencil, and he just sends post-its nonstop to Mark Agnafilo, who seems unimpressed with the great man's Mr. 220 IQ's thoughts on on this uh, 
<laughs> on the on the trial. And Stanley made the observation that it's all in Mark Agnefellow's walk that he when he walks up to cross examine or the witnesses he has a walk like he's walking to the gallows it's a very defeated reluctant walk and he actually demonstrated that for me downstairs in the court lobby and he was so right um and thank you for that so you you get a lot um some of what you get from talking to other people about this court case is you get some confidence in your own opinion, right? So we're all seeing the same thing. And sometimes you get um, some more insight that that things you wouldn't have noticed or didn't think of. Um, Mr. 100% Mark Agnafilo is a real mystery to me. I don't know what makes him tick besides winning court cases um, and money, but uh, so I was just very interested. And I don't think he, I, I, you know, you have to wonder how you would feel about having a client who insisted on going to trial, right? Keith Ranieri did himself no favors by going to trial. And when Dan. Uh, Daniela was about to be cross-examined. I looked at Keith Ranieri's face, and he was so excited. He was so... It looked like he was ready to see Danny be brought down. And that was also another image I got in my head from listening to Danny's testimony, and it was of my brother who used to like to torture ants. And the sadism of Keith Ranieri is so evident in in Danny's testimony. At one point, they played a tape of Danny's mother begging Keith Ranieri to let Danny out of the room. And Keith Ranieri talks about how selfish his daughter, her daughter is, meaning Danny, and that she only cares about herself. She only wants to do what feels good. That she is uh, completely adverse to correcting this breach. And he brings up the Robert De Niro movie, The Mission, and he talks about when Robert De Niro, when the character of Rodrigo finally finally sees the way to correct things, he doesn't worry about make, running triathlons. He only wants to make things right. And then Keith Ranieri keeps making the analogy. If you killed a child, if you killed a child, how, you know, and you had no concern to what, she, uh, what you have done, would that be right? No, that would be bad. And Keith Ranieri's mastery of the English language is poor. His grammatical errors, maybe I'm just the daughter of a writer, but the grammatical errors he made talking to Daniela's mother were many, many. I was just surprised by that. You would think that that would be part of his slick uh, presentation. And his voice, he has this kind of 
soft man, Mr. Sensitive Voice. And I was also reminded of The Godfather, where he sometimes doesn't even say words. He just says, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he's not really listening to Daniela's mother. He's waiting to talk, but he's doing a good imitation of someone who's thoughtful. So when this tape was played with Keith Ranieri asking the mother, if you killed a child, if you ran over a child, Moira Penza, the prosecutor, stopped the tape and asked Daniela, did you kill a child? And she answers, no, I kissed Ben Myers. It was a powerful moment. So the cross-examination of Daniela had Mark Agnofilo brought none of the Mr. Nice Guy, Mr. Affable attitude. He was curt. He was nasty. He was short. And he was aggressive. And I don't think it was very effective, but that's just me. He really honed in on the money that Daniela stole. So, allegedly. So, she admitted to stealing uh, $6,000. She admitted to stealing the money from her father's wallet before she went to Mexico. Then, he pointed out in the letters that she wrote to Keith Ranieri that she would repay TJ Maxx, Walmart, and a couple other stores. And Daniela testified that she didn't remember what that was about. Now, I think that was a misstep to Daniela. My take on it, and it was different than some other court-goers, court was that Daniela, when she was involved in Nexium, had some kind of shoplifting issue, stealing issue, as I would think a control issue, maybe an expression of anger. I don't know, but she had some issue with it. And she would have done much better to have said, yes, I did that. At that time in my life, I, yeah, I was in a crazy cult and was acting out rather than saying I didn't remember. I didn't believe that she didn't remember. Uh, Mark Agnefellow got very aggressive. You don't remember it. You wrote it, but you don't remember it, you know pounded her over and over, and Keith Ranieri was just beaming during this cross-examination. Um, beaming, meaning he, he was very—he was at the edge of his seat, leaning forward. I, I just, my impression was that this was his great revenge, and and he was going to show the jury what a terrible person. She really was. You know, you're so attached to this woman. You think she's such a victim. Well, she's really a horrible person. But we had already listened to her, and the jury had already listened to her for days, talking about how everything had been taken from her. Her sense of self, her self-respect, her health, years of her life. No amount of stealing is equivalent to that. Sorry. And it will really give you an idea how out to lunch Keith Ranieri really is if he thinks that that's going to have any effect on a jury. But it is a good reminder. I know um, other Stanley thought that Daniela was coached to say, I don't remember. Possibly she was told maybe once or twice to say if something's 
um, damning, just say you don't remember, maybe you didn't do it, but you don't remember. It's just, my opinion is it's much better to be completely honest. I think there's a great strength of vulnerability. What was so apparent in that came out in this day in court was that Keith Raniere, who was supposed to be and is supposed to be such a smart, wise man, a teacher, knows so little about what's important in life. And his students know so much. And I I don't understand how he thinks he's going to win points with saying someone's a thief compared to his, to what he's on trial for. Um, he took everything from his followers, everything, their, their health, their self-esteem, their self-image, years of their life. He destroyed uh, family relationships marriages. I, I just, I, I, I think he has no sense of it. I just think he's deluded and has no sense of himself. And that was clearly evident in court. But there are still so many questions that haven't been answered in this court case yet. How did Nexium go on for so long? Who in the government gave them a pass and why? especially in the local government. And Allison Mack, I got to sit next to a woman I'll call Lisa because she doesn't want to be identified, who was friends with Allison Mack, who came to watch the court. And I was really eager to, to get her take on Allison Mack and whether she, I asked her whether she was a victim or a victimizer, and she said both. But I said, you know, is she a sociopath? And she said, I don't know. That's another mystery. Allison Mack, who she was, what, uh, what, was she a victim? Was she a victim? Was she both? I, I, it's still a mystery. And there's still so many things that haven't been uh, answered in this court case, and we don't know what the defense is going to put on, if they're going to put on a defense. So, Right now, it looks very bad for Keith Raniere, but of course, we've only seen uh, the, the prosecution's witnesses. We haven't seen any defense witnesses. But if this cross-examination is any indication, it looks very, very bad for Keith Raniere. And many court go goers are saying he's going to go away for life. It's it. It's cooked. I'm not going to say that yet because I think... Anything can happen, right? And you never know which way a jury's going to go, and you never know the way sentencing is going. Certainly, I learned that lesson after Claire Bronfman bought herself a $6 million ticket out of a long print prison sentence. Put your predictions for the way this court case is going to go in the comment section, and I'll see you back next time. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.